before I get into what I want to talk about, well, actually, this is part of what I want to talk about, but I've, I've had s such a sense just last night and then even s more so this morning, just during the worship, that um, I'm very conscious and aware of how important the moment is right now. And maybe some of you are feeling it similar. But for some reason, there's, I think this today and even next week or so, and even before, it seems like there's such a crucial time for many of us. That actually, it's a sombering and exciting kind of time. Um, but I really feel like God is doing something in hearts. There's a sense that there's, um, not, that, not that we can miss the moment, but we need to value it in, in that I feel like it's almost like God is taking people to another step. Like it talks about one degree, degree of glory to the next. And I feel like God is doing that right now. For us who fully take seriously what God is doing, he's bringing us to another level where there's upgrades. There's uh, expanding. It, and the real sense was that there's an unlocking of hearts, that there's a, uh, areas of our heart that need to be enlarged more, or even like places of our heart that haven't been fully opened. And God is wanting to flood into those places. And so I just, before I go into what I want to talk about, is just to, to kind of, be aware and open to what God is wanting to do. Um, on Wednesday, we uh, talked about a bunch of different things, but the main emphasis and the main kind of thrust of it was around Romans 12, which is all about, um, in view of God's mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And then it goes on to say, then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But before you can transform your mind, First, it is that heart surrender to God. And any time that we go to another level or go to another place in God, it starts with worship. And even this morning, there was a sense of just God coming and just uh, encouraging us even and just blowing wind in our sails to go, come on, worship. Not obviously for him, but it's also for our benefit. And so he's wanting through worship to actually lift us up into a higher place of, of knowing him, of experiencing him, of becoming one with him even more in our awareness and our consciousness. So it, it's really this thing, of, this thing that's been hitting me the most is just the surrender of our heart to God. Again, just freshly going, God, you have everything, every part of my heart. So I just... Because what, what I'm feeling, it's hard to, uh, uh, yes, it's, I've got a framework of what I want to talk about, but what God wants to do is so much more than what I could ever say. And so I feel the weight of like responsibility, but at the same time, I know I can't do it justice. <laughs> because what God wants to do, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit would do something that's so much deeper than what I, can ever, what I could talk. I'm going to do my best. Obviously, but I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work into your heart so strongly and uh, that he could open up the places where he wants to get into. So be open to that as I talk. <laughs> Did you want to share something? Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, just as we were um, worshipping, I was having such a sense of um, a rear view mirror and not looking. You know, some people live their lives looking in the rear view mirror and um, the danger of that or even looking in the side mirror is that we, our focus has to be so much on what lies ahead and the Lord had been speaking about that to me during the week. But um, the scripture I felt was from Isaiah 43 where he says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the uh, waste land. And I just feel that we need to be in that sense of preparedness and expectation for what God is going to do. Uh, as we just totally focus on him. Absolutely. That's good. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so be open. Holy Spirit is looking for worshippers. And you know, worship is not just singing songs. Worship is our, it's a heart issue. It starts in the heart, and just everything we do in life is just an expression of worship. So it is a singing, but it's, it's decisions we make in our life. The way that we do family, the way that we do work, Whatever it is, every single decision is, a, is an act of worship towards God. It's an expression of worship. So here we go. I'm going to read a bit just for you now, so excuse my head being down. Out of the sun, packed in a diamond formation and flying as one that day, the Minutemen dove at nearly the speed of sound towards a tiny emerald patch on Ohio's unwrinkled crazy quilt below. It was a little after nine in the morning on June 7, 1958. The destination of the Air National Guard's jet precision team was the famed Wright-Patterson Air Force Base just outside of Dayton. On the ground, thousands of faces looked upward as Colonel Walt Williams, leader of the Denver-based Sabrejet team, gauged a high speed pullout. For the Minutemen pilots, Colonel Williams Cherry, Captain Cherry, Lieutenant Odell, Captain John Ferrier, and Major Coomer, the manoeuvre was routine, for they had given their show hundreds of times before millions of people. Low across the fresh green grass, the jet stream streaked, far ahead of the noise of the plane's own screaming engines. Judging his pull-up, Colonel Williams pressed the microphone button on the top of his throttle. He says, smoke on now. The diamond of planes pulled straight up into the turquoise sky, a bush tail of white smoke pluming out behind. The crowd, the crowd gr- gasped as four ships suddenly split apart, rolling to the four points of the compass and leaving behind them a beautiful, smoky fleur-de-lis inscribed on the heavens. This was the Minuteman's famed flower-burst manoeuvre. For a minute, the crowd relaxed gazing at the tranquil beauty of the huge white flower that had grown out from the lush Ohio grasslands to fill the great bowl of sky. Out of the end of this stem of the flower, Colonel Williams turned his sabre hard, cut off the smoke and dropped the nose of his F-86 to pick up speed for the low-altitude crossover manoeuvre. Then, glancing back over his shoulder, he froze in terror. Far across the sky to the east, John Ferrier's plane was rolling. He was in trouble. 
and his plane was headed right for the small town of Fairborn on the edge of Patterson Field. In a moment, the lovely morning had turned to horror. Everyone saw and everyone understood. One of the planes was out of control. Steering his jet in the direction of the crippled plane to race after it, Williams radioed urgently, bail out, bail out, Johnny, get out of there. And Ferrius still had plenty of time to, and, and room to be able to eject safely. Twice more, Williams issued the command, bail out, bail out. But each time, Williams was answered only with a blip of smoke, and he understood immediately. John Ferrier couldn't reach the mic button on the throttle because both of his hands were tugging on the control stick. But the smoke button was on the stick, so he was answering the only way he could, squeezing it to tell Walt that he could keep his plane under enough control to avoid crashing into the houses of Fairborn. And suddenly, a terrible explosion shook the earth. Then came a haunting silence. Walt Williams continued to radio through uh, to Johnny. Are you there? Captain, answer me. But there was no response. Major Wynn Coomer, who had flown with Ferrier for years, both in the Air National Guard with United Airlines and who served as a, a combat tour with him in Korea, was the first Minutemen to land. He raced to the crash scene, hoping to find his friend alive. Instead, he found a neighbourhood in shock from the awful thing that had just happened. Captain Ferrier's sabre jet had hit the ground midway between four houses in a backyard garden. It was the only place where he could have safely crashed without killing anyone. The explosion had knocked a woman and several children to the ground, but no one had been hurt with the exception of John Ferrier. He was killed instantly. A steady stream of people began coming to Kuma as he stood in uh, as he stood in his flying suit beside the smoking, gaping hole in the ground where his best friend had just died. A bunch of us were standing together watching the show, an elderly man said with tears in his eyes, and when the pilot started to roll, he was headed straight for us. For a second, we looked right at each other, and then he pulled up right over the top of us and put it in over there. And in deep humility, the man whispered, this man died for us. After a few days after this tragic accident, John Ferrier's wife, Tooley, found a worn card in his wallet. And on it were the words, I'm third. And that simple phrase exemplified the life, the death of this courageous man. For him, God came first, others second, and himself third. And true to his philosophy, John Ferrier gave his life for people that he'd never even met. Today, we're continuing on with a series, This Is Us. We're pretty much done, almost. Oh, I've got to turn this on. So we've done all of them except for one. Do you know which one? We've done Generations. A Church Who Give. That's what we're up to. And the reason I wanted to share that story first up is because uh, to somewhat reset our gears in our minds, to recalibrate it and start as a framework where 
we're not thinking about money. Because often when you hear that, or when you hear anything like in that kind of style, we think, okay, it talks about money. And it's because we're so programmed by money. But giving has nothing to do with money, but it is an issue of the heart. It starts with the heart. As I was saying before, everything that we do with worship is an expression of our heart. And so giving, even financially, is just one of those expressions of worship. It's an expression of the heart. So giving means all sorts of stuff. It includes money, and it's a big part of it because we're so programmed by it. But I want to tell you, it's about the heart. And uh, before anything else, we talk about giving. The primary thing about it is it's all about God actually wanting your heart. He is so passionate and so uh, motivated and desires you that everything about him, even, even worship, is designed for, to capture your heart. That's what he wants. And, you know, God is the best gift giver you will ever meet. There's a bunch of scriptures. I'm just going to read out a few scriptures for you. This is quite a famous one, Matthew 7, verse 9. It says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good, give, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In 2 Peter 1 verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. John 14, 16, it says, I'll ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and I will give you, and he will give you another advocate, meaning one that is just like Jesus, to help you and be with you forever. 2 Corinthians 1, 22, it says, He has put his brand upon us, his mark of ownership, and given us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee that we belong to him. And how's this? And it is the first installment of all that he's going to give you. Think of how awesome the Holy Spirit is. He's God. He's given to you now. And he says, that's just the first installment of all that I'm going to give to you. That is crazy. Ephesians 1, verse uh, 3, we know it says we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. But then in verse 13, it goes on to say, Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, and he has been given to us like an engagement ring has been given to a bride. And you can never outgive God. Never. He is a genius when it comes to blessing. And, and giving us things that we don't deserve. Right? He is an absolute expert at generosity. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, and I do not give to you as the world gives. Now, God gives without any strings attached. 
Whereas the world, there's always a hook or some sort of string attached. Even like not maliciously or not in a bad way, think about at like Christmas time. You go to buy someone, say in your family or whatever, a present. An unspoken agreement is, now that you've given me this gift, I'm now required to give you a gift of equal value. <laughs> right? How is that not? That's, some, that's a worldly way of giving. Or how about this? When people say, I love you, immediately the person's like, I love you. Back. It's required because otherwise if you go, oh, thank you, it's like odd, don't you think? Yeah, there's this unspoken thing where there's this string, and it's not always bad, but it's just a worldly way of giving. Whereas when God gives, he doesn't expect anything back. He does it because it's his nature to do it. There's no strings attached. Secondly, out of this, the gifts of the world are temporary. Whereas when God gives, it is eternal. Because he is eternal. He can't help but give something that is eternal. He's giving out of the eternal realm. Whereas here, when we get a gift, there's some, we use it, we eat it, <laughs> we wear it, and it gets worn out, it breaks, it eventually just goes to dust. Whereas everything that God gives is eternal, and you will never lose it. Salvation is eternal. Gift of the Holy Spirit is eternal. All the spiritual gifts, the talents and the personality and things, that even the soul that is put in you is eternal. It's never going to die. In James 1, verse 7, 17, sorry, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Everything we have is a gift from God. In, um, I was going to talk a bit about something else, about David and the temple, but I'm just going to read out a scripture that he said in the midst of him wanting to plan the building of this incredible temple. And just a little bit of background, he's allocated billions of dollars from the kingdom that he's running to build this temple. And then he also puts billions of dollars from his own personal account into this thing. And he calls all the leaders, all the uh, business owners, all the servants, all the soldiers to come together to this gathering and he asks them to commit the same thing. And they also generously pour out um, out, of their own personal, out of their own personal resources just gold and all these sorts of materials to try and build this awesome temple for the Lord. And um, in the midst of all this, uh, David says in 1 Chronicles 29, have I got it up there? I do. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And he says this, everything comes from you and we have given to you only what comes from your hand. And I believe that is such a great way, a healthy way to live our lives, um, to have the, that the heart and the mentality that everything that we have is first from God. Everything. And knowing that, it actually keeps you free from the love of money. You know, in, um, I think it's in Timothy, it says that the love of money is the root of 
all evil. That's quite a statement. The root of all evil comes from the love of money. And having this kind of mentality, it keeps you free from it. Knowing that God is first, knowing that he is everything, keeping your heart clear and protected against the love of money because God is first. So your job, your money, your influence, your health, your skills, your talents, your family, your friendship circle, all the people that your life intertwines with is all orchestrated and given by God. Every good gift comes from him. You might think you did something to get it, maybe, but the reason that you have the is you have the ability to be able to do it is because God gave you that ability in the first place. It is all from him. And then obviously we have like John 3.16. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's the greatest gift of all was Jesus. To give us and uh, eternal life to be one with him, to be invited into the throne room, into the same room with God. What a gift is that? Not only that, though, he, this incredible privilege of being able to walk into his presence is awesome. Not only that, he's actually given himself to come and live inside of you and given his own divine nature and put it inside of you so that not only can you receive gifts, but you can actually be the gift giver as well. And the Bible, the scripture talks about how it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. What a privilege it is to be able to be beneficiaries of God's presence and his grace, but also then to be dispensers of it. It's wild. This is the main scripture I want to look at today. 2 Corinthians 9. I'm just going to take a drink first. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Just one note, just hold there. When I was talking about David and he's giving all these gifts to uh, the temple, it says that they gave generously and because they gave wholeheartedly, it says there was great rejoicing and they were filled with joy and the, and the presence of the Lord was there. Not only that, right after that, they were so filled with joy that they went on giving sacrifices to God. 1,000 bulls, 1,000 sheep, I think, and 1,000... One of the other ones, goats or something. So just this huge, extravagant place of worship where there was such joy, where there's just like this generosity just flowing out of them. And so giving is actually so linked to joy. It should be a thing of joy. It's not to be done with reluctance and anger, but it's, a, it's an expression of the heart towards God because we know everything has first come from him. So, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
And often when we hear about this being a church you give, as I was saying before, immediately the thoughts go to money and we tense up. The gears like get stuck, crunching, like, you can't manipulate me, you can't force me out of my money. Don't you know I worked hard for this? Those are the kind of thoughts that go that we're programmed with. I want to give you today three simple guidelines of how we are to give. And the first one is that we give with our heart. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. You know, generosity comes from the heart. It is a heart issue, as I said before. Um, it's an expression of what is inside. In Matthew 6, it's, this Jesus says, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that just simply means what you hold valuable in your heart, what you put first inwardly is what you're going to pursue outwardly. And many people sadly put into their heart and invest in their heart the love of money. And so their whole life is given to this pursuit of money. And it's why it's so hard to talk about it for some people because that love of money is so deeply rooted in their heart that they just do not want to be separated from it. It becomes who they are. It becomes a part of just everything that they're about. And so if you talk about trying to separate from them, it's a big deal. It's like trying to separate their God from them. Because essentially that's what it is. A lot of people treasure money above all else. They attribute higher value to money than they do to God, and it spiritually takes a hold of their heart. They have rooted themselves into the love of money become slaves to it, and instead of giving to God, they give to money, and they serve money instead of serving, instead of serving God. Do you know, I personally, and, I, and this is also, I think this is true as a statement I could say as part of the leadership of this church, but I personally believe in tithing. I believe in putting aside a portion of my income, not necessarily 10%, but I choose to do 10%, um, where I'm giving that to God. Not to a man, not to a church. It's giving it to God. And that might look different. might give it to different people or whatever. The application of it is different. But that's not the point. The point is I'm giving it to God, and then he leads me how to apply that in my life. He speaks to my heart how I should do that. But the important thing is I'm giving my, my tithe to God. And my responsibility is not only to hear what God is saying to me, but then to be obedient to what he says in my heart. And so there are a couple reasons why I embrace tithing. But the main reason that I personally believe it's true is through the generosity of my heart and through the giving of finances, something that is so closely linked to my heart, I actually keep myself free from that spiritual gift, uh, spiritual grip that is the love of money. It is the, it's for me, personally, it's the number one reason why. Because it's no one else's responsibility to guard my heart from that. And it's a big deal, as I said. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's huge. So I want my roots to grow deep 
into the love of God and not into the love of money. And I've been convinced that my giving is what keeps my heart free. So how do we, we give to God with our hearts? We decide in our hearts before we give and who we are to give and how we are to express that. But secondly, we give with our head. So you give not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible is full of scriptures that talk about renewing of our mind, about taking captive thoughts, about setting our hearts and setting our minds on things above that don't be anxious about anything, but uh, fix your mind on Christ. Think on good thoughts. Think on noble things. Fill your mind with just good thoughts. Protect it. And so just in the same way as we need to guard our heart, we do need to guard our mind. We need to protect it. So our giving is not to be from a place of anger and reluctance. Right? I'm only giving because this is the right thing to do. I'm only giving because this is what a good Christian is supposed to do. Right? Feeling guilty and manipulated, like I have to do this because that's what I'm supposed to do. I want to tell you, that is not a good steward of money. That's not doing what God says, that's doing what man says. And people get so angry, people who stand up and manipulate others to give. And uh, like televangelists or whatever, giving, uh, getting the rich to give to the, give to the, or giving the, getting the poor to give to the rich. It's wrong. It is. It's twisted. I'm not condoning it at all. And they will stand before God and give an account for it. But the Bible makes it clear it's not their responsibility what they do with your money. It's your responsibility. You need to give with your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You need to be a good steward of what God has given to you. So cheerful generosity, on the other hand, flows out of revelation. Flows from a place of understanding who God is and what he has given to you. In Ephesians 1, it says, God lavishly poured out his riches of grace with all wisdom and understanding. In accordance with his predetermined purpose and will, he planned before the very foundation of the world to give Jesus. He thought this thing through properly. He gives in abundance. and I mean, you think of grace is so wild, it's so crazy, that it would allow a murderer, a thief, a rapist to go to heaven freely. That's scandalous, the grace of God. Yet he gave careful thought, and in his wisdom and his divine revelation, he gives cheerfully, joyfully, out of his heart. And that's the same for us. We need to give out of revelation and we do it with joy. In James 1, verse 5, it says, If you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God is so, He's the best giver ever. 
And the more and more we see how good of a gift giver he is, naturally his nature begins to flow through us and becomes such a joy. So we give with our, with our heart, we give with our head, and then uh, as the scripture says, love God with all your heart, with all your mind and soul, and also love him with all your strength, which leads us to the third one, which is God, uh, we give with our hands. So God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In Ephesians 2, it says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. In Ephesians 4, it says, The church grows, it builds itself up, as each part does its work. In uh, sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians, we can read 12, 13, and 14. All of it talks about how each one of us has got something to give. Each of us has got the Holy Spirit, and he expresses himself through all of us, different gifts, gifts of service, gifts of different ministries. doesn't have to be from preaching at the front. Actually, this is quite a um, small proportion of the time of giving. It's all throughout the week as you go throughout your day. It's about giving. It's about the grace of God being expressed through you. And I like this in Ephesians 4, verse 16. Um, every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all, building everyone up in perfect love. And then 1 Peter 4, verse 10, it says, Every believer has received grace gifts. So use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. So every one of us has got talents, we've got skills, we've got knowledge, we've got revelation, we've got things that God has put in us that he wants us to share with the rest of the world. You know, who God is for you is exactly who he wants you to be to someone else. So you have something brilliant to share. And we are all richer for it. Never think that you haven't got anything to offer because God lives in you. He has made you completely unique. I've said this a few times lately, where the fusion of God and you come together. There is, it's so unique that there's an expression of his, of his nature and his personality that you can only see if it comes through you. So it's important that you share for the enrichment of all of us. It was so good. We've done like last week and the week before on Wednesdays, just opening up for other people to share. It's awesome, the encouragement, and it builds everyone up. Um, just the simple thing that we often disregard in our life, thinking, oh, I'm not important. I haven't, my words aren't good. It's not going to encourage anyone. I think you underestimate how powerful it is. Every single one of us has got God in us, and simple words that we take for granted can actually lift someone out of a pit. It's good. I'll just share one story with you and then we can be done. In, um, it was a few years ago now. Uh, Yvonne and m myself were walking through the city and we were walking near, we were actually looking for churches like the old, the old kind of cathedral style churches and we were just walking around the city, just going into them to see what, I don't know, I don't know why. We were just looking at them. 
And then we decided to go down and then walk through, I think it's Royal Perth Hospital that's right next to that big church. Am I wrong with that? Is that the right? Yeah, so we were there, so we walked through Royal Perth. As we go down and through the foyer area, we see this girl and she's like crying. She's upset, obviously, walking around, kind of stressed out. And so we're walking along and we go up to her and just ask you, are you okay? Like, you're obviously quite visually distressed. And she's like, no, no, it's okay. I'm just, um, my stepmom's upstairs and um, I'm just, it's just bringing up a lot of memories and I'm just stressed out and stuff. And we're like, okay, um, would you like us to pray for you? And she's like, no, no, it's all right, I'll be okay. So we're like, okay. So we just kept walking. Come back about 10 minutes later and she's still there, still in the exact same state. And we walk past and I was just like, oh, okay. And then, then I had a thought, do you know what? I think for some reason I feel like I want to give her some money. So I get out my wallet, pull out a 50, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> 50 bucks is a lot. <laughs> but then I just went and gave it to her. And then straight away, she's like, her face just opened. And she's like, what are you doing? What is this? Like, and then I was like, well, I don't know. I just felt to give it to you. And she's like, no, I can't have this. You know? I'm like, I want you to have it. I don't care. I'm going to run away if you, like, so that you can't give it to me. So anyway, she's like, oh, that's thank you so, so much. And then I just asked again, well, we're here. I'd like to pray for you because of the state that you're in. And she's like, yes, absolutely. So get to pray for her. And she's like, oh, thank you so, so much. Um, oh, can I, I don't want to trouble you, but can you go upstairs and pray for my mum as well or my stepmom? I'm like, absolutely. That's what we're here for. So then she, because it's really hard to get into places without, if, unless you know someone. So she actually takes us into the elevator, goes up, we get to go in to see her stepmom and get to pray for her stepmom. I can't remember what she had, some, she had issues breathing and stuff. But just that opening up through a gift, a simple gift, because what is $50 for that kind of thing? It's nothing. And, and just wanted to share it to show you how much people open up just through a simple act of giving. You know, with uh, Peter and John, in Acts 3, they walk past that guy who's been there for years, sitting on the side of the road, begging for money. And uh, they, say, they say to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. And he grabs his hand and says, get up in the name of Jesus and walk. And so that guy, he wasn't looking to be healed. He was looking for money, like much of the world is. And even though, even if we do have to give Maybe something like that to open the person's heart. It's worth it if they get God in it in return. Because what kind of price can you put on God? So I just wanted to encourage you with that, man. It's just, I hope, I think Holy Spirit is doing more than what I'm saying. Um, I, I really pray that that kind of uh, helps to kind of solidify something that God's doing in our hearts. And I encourage you to not miss the moments where you hear him speaking to you because I feel like it's an important time, a crucial time for us as a church and as especially individually as well where God is wanting our hearts to enlarge, to open up more to what he is wanting to do. So, good stuff. Bless you. Yep. That's it. Would you like me to pray for you? <laughs> <laughs>
I have my benediction. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jesus, so much again that you are the most brilliant gift giver in the world, that you are so generous, that you have given us eternal life, you have given us yourself, you've given us the opportunity to be able to live with you forever and ever and ever, that the wonder of forgiveness and being right with you, there's no one could ever repay that. No one could pay that. And, but just again this morning, Father, we just come to you and surrender our heart fully to you and just say thank you. You are so, so good. And if there's areas in, in our lives where it needs adjusting, where it's been this thing actually about money rather than my heart giving it towards you, God, I just pray that those things would just break off and that we would fully surrender ourselves to you because there's nothing better than giving ourselves to you. So bless everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.